uh, Al Pacino. I mean, if you see Al Pacino in real life, just assume he's the devil. <laughs> well, he'll shout at you like a, like a demon. Yes. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Notary Office in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 234 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to use devils in your game. But first the party gets a new lease on life in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Fiend Slayer checks the forces of hell and the fine print in the Character Creation Forge. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Hero Forge. Shane, uh, I have been waiting for this new Kickstarter for a while because now we're finally getting color minis. Yeah, so for people who don't want to paint their mini but do want a custom mini from Hero Forge, hey, that's now me. have a solution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kickstarter went live on the 14th of January. It runs through the 13th of February. And the, the main thing here is that Hero Forge is now 3D printing in color. So you've actually got a couple of options. You can get the material printed in color. It's not painted. like The color's actually in the plastic itself. Uh, or you can uh, design your mini online like you can do with everything else, but you assign the colors, and then they'll send it out to a professional artist who will hand-paint it for you. Yep, which is the thing that we have also done. <laughs> right, uh, from like tearing off a little uh, phone number from a piece of paper at the comic book shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So it's cool. They uh, they print directly in the color. Like the resin is the color that you're asking for. It can print in like full color spectrum. Um, they have a, an online design tool that, that kind of accompanies your already existing character builder. Um, and then it just, you know, gets sent up and printed for you. Yeah, so you can virtually paint your miniature inside the tool. You can select colors for things like skin or fur, or metal, glass, leather, stone, uh, you can choose whether you want uh, dry brushing, waxing and inking, or a custom color mixing. That's washing and inking, which is the thing that people who paint know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's basically adding highlights and adding like shadows. Um, but yeah, so it, and then you, with these one-click color schemes, you can just use the professionally designed schemes that they've already like mapped for themselves you know if you want dragon scales that look like dragons you don't have to figure out like which colors to use for the wash and the dry brush and everything they just have that built in so there's also a token maker that you can use for a virtual tabletop you can design and export tokens in full color and they can either be portrait tokens or top-down view models i'll be honest Shane, like this whole colored mini thing is the the main thing that's been keeping me from like spending all my money on hero forge stuff is this your killer app yeah, I think it might be like you, like you and Brian will sit down when we're at like um, Thrillicon and and Susie too, and just like paint minis while while we're like playing something else, right? And I'm like, yawn, cool, glad you guys enjoy that, but I'm over here doing my stuff. If I can have someone else give me a custom mini that is already painted, I don't have to worry about all that. Uh, I I don't know, I might be broke. <laughs> I I also really like like there's a lot of very bright and vivid colors in here, um, which is one of the more difficult things to paint in a mini like Mm. to get that brightness and like richness of color in there so if like they can get those yellows and like bright blues and like those kind of colors like and and some of the samples have like full rainbow spectrum right like it it, it's really cool looking like i think that's that's going to be awesome yeah so i'm excited to see like 
actual stuff in my hand. But for the timeline, so February uh, 2020, they're updating the library for uh, parts compatibility. Uh, in May, they're finalizing the user interface for the color application. And in June, they'll open order submissions. Yeah, and then they'll uh, you know fulfill them gradually over time as they open that up to Kickstarter backers. So sometime later this year, if you back now, you can get your mini fully color realized directly from Hero Forge. All right, check the link in the show notes. Uh, speaking of new stuff, Shane, there was an announcement from Wizards of the Coast about the next new book. So they pulled the little fast one on us here. It, yes. Like they announced that they were going to make an announcement and then they pushed back their announcement. And then somewhere in the meantime, Amazon did the Lord's work of spoiling the announcement by listing a, uh, a dice product um, that seemed like a tie-in to a book. It was called uh, Lariel Silverhand's Explorer's Guide. Uh, and it was like the dice product to accompany it. Right. And then Turns what do we get, Isha? Yeah. <laughs> we actually got a critical role campaign setting. It's like the, the guide to <laughs> Wildmount? Wildemount? I don't no know. Idea. Right. I don't watch that- critical role. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be the, the new book, a, a campaign setting guide. There will be, we assume, just like uh, Sorko's Adventures Guide and Eberron, there will be some new subsystems that you can sort of slap onto whatever game you happen to be playing. And if you... Listen to Critical Role, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I've literally not even heard a minute of Critical Role ever in my entire life. Um, The first season or adventure takes place in one continent. The second one takes place in another continent, um, Mm -hmm. which is this one, Wildemount. Wildemount. Yeah. So the world is called Exandria. I don't remember what the first continent is, but they kickstarted it. I think. Okay, that's the one they kickstarted, and then... I think Wildmount is the like now the official D and D release. Right. So if you're wondering why are we talking about it if we don't know anything about any of this stuff, it's because of course we're going to review the book. Yeah, uh, and because the internet has opinions about everything. Yeah. Uh, so. Look, it's not Forgotten Realms. That's true, and it's not uh, Magic: The Gathering repurposed for D and D. So two things in its favor in my in my book. Yeah, uh, although, if you remember, we actually were pretty impressed with the actual content of the Magic the Gathering book, if not necessarily the magic flavor. Yeah, did you um, did you ever play a game in Ravnica? I did not. Okay, you? so, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of good that did. <laughs> hey, there's uh, that one cantrip that everyone looks at and goes, that's pretty cool, but they never uses. Yeah, I mean, I oh, this is this is a tough one, because, like... At the end of the day, this is a very, like, vanilla kind of campaign setting. You know, like, it is it is just stock fantasy uh, in the way that, like, has been tread and retread many times. So if you like this particular brand of stock fantasy, then great. Like, I'm sure you're going to love this Critical Role book. Um, and if you were hoping for something like one of the more esoteric uh, D&D properties, like, obviously you're going to be disappointed because it's not that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what new ground this treads or if it really just is a sort of reskinning of traditional D&D so that you can play in you know your favorite critical role campaign setting yeah the one thing I will say that we know for sure is that it does not have a blood hunter so it's okay <laughs> at least not version 1.7 <laughs> all right speaking of uh overpowered monstrosities Ishan, where are we in the gates of morning campaign 
The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And on the day of morning, near a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party is dead. Because if you remember, from atop the highest tower in a House Jurasco enclave, they had witnessed the destruction of the entire nation of Seer. But the arcane energies released by the Cataclysm also set off some kind of strange, weird kind of chain reaction beneath the compound that they are currently in. Yeah, it released a bunch of noxious gases and necromantic surges, and the enclave was destroyed, the tower collapsed, and rocks fell, we died. Yes. However, exhausted and groggy, the party awakes on stone beers in a quiet hall. Each of them is tended by a Jurasco halfling. And Lucky the Changeling realizes that she is fully covered and she's allowed to return to her human form without anyone else seeing. And when she sort of gives the halfling a confused look about why, you know, she's protecting her secret, uh, the attendant whispers, you know, something about patient confidentiality. And then Wilmo, the halfling who leads the enclave, arrives and explains that the House of Healing compound is designed to cast a contingent gentle repose on anyone who dies within its border, which extends the amount of time that a revivify spell will be effective from one minute to ten days. Yeah, you die here, we feel like it doesn't need to be a coding situation, right? We'll just give our, we'll buy ourselves some time to figure out what actually happened. I mean, we'll buy ourselves some time to, you know, ransom your body. Also, maybe, yes. <laughs> do Unf- your loved ones want you to be revivified? <laughs> How much do they love you? <laughs> Unfortunately, she says, though, the bodies of the less hardy refugees that the party and the Ondarians were escorting, as well as their children, didn't survive in one piece and they were unable to be restored to life because of course a lower level spell like revivify can only bring a body back to life if it's whole so we find out we have been dead for six days uh and that we're free to go there's no further obligation from us so we get dressed and you know get our gear on and then we have a conversation with the ondarian colonel uh darian ephraim so he thanks the party for their help and expresses his what seems like really sincere regret that they weren't all able to save the refugees, right? I mean, they had found these people on the battlefield and then the party and the Ondarians had all risked their lives to get these basically like peasants off the battlefield. Uh, unfortunately, that was ultimately futile. He does offer his aid in the future and says, you know, if any of you ever need help, please let me know. And of course, I hope I can count on you for the same, he adds Definitely not ominously. Mm -hmm. So we all go our separate ways, never to meet again, or at least never to meet until four and a half years later. And we'll find out what happens then next week. So this week we are continuing our brand new series on using iconic monsters as we talk about using devils. Yep. uh, This is a way for us to have a discussion about how to use these monsters both as a GM and as a player uh, on both sides. How to like incorporate them in your game in like an interesting way because with these kinds of monsters, you know they're probably going to show up if not in a specific campaign that you happen to be in right now in the next one. Yep. 
So devils are probably the monster most tied to real world mythology and religion. Uh, so everybody has like a, a touchstone with devils or what they think devils are. You know, everybody's watched Charmed, right? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> most tied to real world Christian mythology. <laughs> like uh, Gary Gygax cribbed a lot of notes from a lot of religions. <laughs> oh, it's very true. But, you know, you can also have um, devils from other kinds of religions that don't necessarily look like D&D devils, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, like Rakshasas. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, hmm, wait a minute. <laughs> so in general, um, devils that are going to show up in your games are doing things like scheming from the sidelines. Uh, often they'll be the actual power behind who you think is the enemy, or they might just be the end game boss. Yeah, they can. you can get a lot of like screw tape letter action here, right? Mm-hmm. Like the uh, the devils are the ones who aren't allowed to directly interfere with mortals. But, you know, if they lead you astray, it's okay. Look at you, Shane, with your C.S. Lewis deep cuts. Uh-huh, yeah. Are you, are you going to do the Narnia campaign setting episode too? Please. <laughs> I've read exactly one C.S. Lewis, sir. <laughs> it was the good one. All right, so uh, devils can range from all powerful deities, like literally all powerful, certainly at least compared to the party members, all the way down to tiny little familiars or these like low-level hucksters who are trying to earn souls to spend as currency in the nine hells. Uh, where do you rank Asmodeus in this uh, spectrum? Definitely Huckster, right? Because I heard he has 22 <laughs> AC. <laughs> that guy's a punk. <laughs> our Forge Cleric has a higher AC than that. Come on. <laughs> Both of our artificers have higher AC than that. <laughs> I think what makes uh, I think what makes Devils so great is that you can use them at any point in the game, at any level of the power curve. Um, for a variety of roles you know Mm -hmm. like the devils do not have to be simply a combat threat nor do they have to be simply a mastermind level threat or uh you know uh an erstwhile ally or anything like that right like devils have the depth to kind of fill lots of npc roles in your campaign at any point in time so it's important to remember when you are using devils and i guess also certainly when you're dealing with them that they are lawful evil at least like in the traditional dnt sense devils have goals that will often make sense to humanoids uh, they you know want power or they might want things or they want to accomplish things in the real world they aren't focused on destruction though actually they you know an individual devil might enjoy destruction and I think like that can make them seem like less of a threat than something like uh, oh, a horde of demons that's about to like overrun the entire country or, you know, like four fire breathing dragons, which are, you know, coming down on you in a V formation. But a smart devil makes you destroy yourself. They don't bother doing it themselves. And, and of course, almost every devil is smart. Yeah, they uh, they play with their food, mm-hmm. as it were, <laughs> like they will. They will put you in the position where, you know, you are begging for them to kill you rather than just killing you because they can. Right. right? This death would be a release after what you made me do. Or I guess, oh, no, did, I guess I chose to do that. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Like, it, it strikes me as like the uh, that line from Ocean's Eleven about Tony Benedict. You know, it's like he'll kill you and then he'll go to work on you. Like, that's a very like <laughs> devil maneuver. Right. Right. There there are things far worse than death, especially if you're playing in a setting where, you know, there's an afterlife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like all of that combined makes it so that devils can be or maybe even ought to be the most terrifying enemy a party can actually face. Terrifying or tantalizing? Ooh, both at the same <laughs> time. 
Oh, so, so many regrets. So much flirtation with power. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start by defining our devils. Yeah, and I think this basically means that you're going to choose what the mythos is behind your devils. You've got your traditional fantasy, right? They're one of the kinds of fiends, and they're sort of diametrically opposed to demons, and the two kinds of fiends are caught in this perpetual blood war, and that keeps both of them from overrunning the multiverse in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting that you say they're, like, diametrically opposed to demons, because aren't they diametrically opposed to angels, Ishan? <laughs> You know, they're diametrically opposed on the on the bottom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they got a war on two fronts is what I'm saying. <laughs> Sometimes three, you bring in the Yugoloths, and you're like, right. oh, what's going on? Exactly. Um, and then I think it's also common that they treat souls as a currency in the Nine Hells, right? They, they bargain with mortals. They trick mortals out of their soul. Like, they are, like, inherently interested in the long game. Yeah, I thought... I thought that's sort of an interesting development in the mythos of devils because like the other mythos that you can sort of draw from is real world religions. And it feels to me like a gamifying of like the, the traditional religious, like Judeo Christian view of a devil, like, okay, they want to trick you and steal your soul or whatever. Right. But what do they then do with it in like a D and D setting? Yeah. Like, the Faustian bargain is just for Faust to like fall and then Mephistopheles to gleefully gloat. <laughs> like, right. He doesn't do anything with it, right? Like, <laughs> I win, I, I guess, right? But yeah, I'm all powerful, right? Why do I care if I win over this dumb mortal? Right. <laughs> so, you know, if a soul is currency, then great. That gives an actual reason for, for them to do it. And I think you're, you're going to want to figure out why is it that these like usually very powerful immortal beings are f***ing with mortals. Yeah. Now, if your uh, devil mythology is drawn from uh, real-world religions, then maybe you don't necessarily need to figure that out. They do it because that's what they're here to do, right? Mm -hmm. They're like just they're part of the multiverse or the universe or whatever, and they were created basically to screw with you. Yeah, and like this is where you might get into like sort of the the implicit piece of like D and D mythology of like devils have nearly unlimited power right like a devil is just on a curve but like devils overall like they don't die um like they eventually move up the ranks they transform transmute like amass souls amass power and like eventually they just become unlimited power right um and like the only real way to defeat them is some like specific circumstance of like you know a prophecy must come true or you must have like the power of true faith or like some exorcism or holy item is required or, or whatever circumstance like is necessary for that specific type of devil. Yeah. And I think this gives you a lot of leeway to have fun with this. Like one of my other sort of devil touchstones is bedazzled. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like both, both versions of that movie where that's a Will Ferrell movie, right? No. <laughs> It's a Brendan Fraser. Oh, it's Brendan and, Fraser. And That's Elizabeth even worse. Hurley, but also Dudley Moore and ah, who plays the I forget who plays the devil in it uh, from like the sixties, the the original one. But in that, like the devil's just sort of screwing around, and like they can do whatever they want, right? They seem to have completely unlimited power to control like time and space and the minds and hearts of other people, mm -hmm. right? It, but th there there is a goal, and I guess it's to win the soul, but it also it's just sort of to have fun. Right? right like to have an adventure and honestly like hey i'm the gm and you're the players that's our goal too yeah 
<laughs> you know, devils. The good time villains. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you can have a pastiche of all this stuff. Like, pull in anything someone might know or think they know about a devil, and it'll probably make sense in, in some aspect of your game. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the physiology of our devils. You know, you might have the uh, the classic, like, horns and forked tail and carrying a pitchfork, you know, tiny little adorable wings. Uh, or they could just be disguised as humans. Disguised as humans actually is probably the best way to introduce them. That's my favorite. <laughs> They've uh, been a devil all along. That's the, uh, that's the devil's advocate, right? Right. <laughs> uh, consider, like, do do the devils in the game even have stats? And I think that's that might maybe even more important if you're a player. Like, if okay, we're confronted with a being that we know is a devil. Does it have hit points that are countable that we can stab or not? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, this isn't, you know, it's great in D&D that they have hit points and they are fundamentally a monster, right? Even if they might be a monster that can't be permanently killed. But, like, in something like, say, Deadlands, right? Like, a devil belongs in Deadlands for certain. But, like, can you shoot a devil to death? <laughs> like, what does that do, right? Like, you, you kind of have to play by the devil's rules because they're lawful and you have to defeat them at their game mm -hmm. in, in some settings. So when you're devising your devils and figuring out where they fit in your world and figuring out the rules around them, try to lock those things in, right? Is there a giveaway so that you happen to know that you're near a devil that in the future you'll be able to figure out? Like, do they smell like brimstone? Um, why is it that this person is appearing or this person looks like like my ideal form of like physical at attractiveness? Mm -hmm. Does this person look different to everybody? That's that's a big tip off typically. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't get the details right, it might be a devil. And then I think in almost every setting, you've got legends about devils. You know, you, someone says the word devil and, you know, people, no matter where you are, aren't like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? There are legends, even if they don't necessarily exist or people don't think they exist. So which legends are actually true? And then which legends do people think are actually true? Like, can a devil lie to you? Right. Maybe in some settings, devils definitely lie to you. And in others, they have to manipulate the truth because they always have to speak the truth because they're lawful or whatever. Right. And then like in other, in other like legends, like devils aren't, tr aren't tricking you, right? Like they aren't scheming and, and tricky in that they give you what you want. It's just that you don't understand how much that's going to cost you. Right. It, it's always monkey's paw. Yeah, exactly. Like you got exactly what you wanted, Faust. <laughs> how much can they give you right consider that if, if you're doing a, a loosey-goosey no um no hit points no stats kind of devil then you can like sky's the limit you can make anything happen that works within the story but even if you're dealing with like an imp familiar <laughs> it is fun to be like uh the imp makes you an offer you have no idea how this tiny imp is going to fulfill this but but they do yeah like I, I like that, especially like the warlocks who can get improved familiar, um, the pact of the chain, and take like you know like the book imp or whatever, and it's just like this imp hints at having way more power than you, and he just still is kind of kicking it on your shoulder, you know, <laughs> like like oh no, it's fine, like I'll, I'll I'll tag along and I'll do what you tell me, and like you can think that the chain is around me, but keep keep in mind somebody has to hold that chain, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and you know, what's uh, what's one of your lifetimes to me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a vacation. You could do this for like 80 years. It's fine. <laughs> so in all that, I think that that leads us to world building. Like where do devils fit in your setting? Maybe they already have an established place because you're playing in, you know, Eberron and they all go to Shavarath or you're using the Great Wheel mythology. Or, you know, in a homebrew setting, you can decide exactly like how much power do devils as a whole have? How has how have devils affected history? Are they just a manifestation of evil in the world? So as long as the, the world exists and then devils are a thing or were they created in some sort of like bizarre, awful like cataclysm? Can you destroy them? Can you destroy them for good? Yeah. What happens when you destroy their physical form? Do they go back to the nine hells and, you know, get reborn over the course of a generation? Like, do they restart as imps and have to work their way back up? Yeah. Or do they sort of like explode in goo? Like charmed. <laughs> uh, you also want to think about like how actively do they engage mortals? How often do they engage with mortals? Like, what do you need to do that will attract the attention of a devil? Uh, is it good acts? Is it bad acts? Is it like a ritual? I like the idea that, you know, in the real world, people uh, are always trying to do things so that you don't attract the attention of a devil or the devil, right? Mm. So, and that's how so many superstitions come about is you need to like say a particular phrase or, you know, you need to like not boast or you like don't say the devil's name. Uh, I like those elements being incorporated into a setting that I'm playing in uh, as a reason why there are particular superstitions or maybe in a particular location, there's a particular superstition. Mm -hmm. Like there is a devil. We don't say their name. (laughs) Yeah. Like he lives on top of the mountain. Don't make him look at us. Right. And then think about what goals do devils as a whole have, right? Individual devils always have their own goals, but like to your point about that book imp are is a specific devil being ordered around by some sort of arch devil or like a lieutenant who then reports to an arch devil um is there a main person who's in charge of all devils like satan or morgoth in lord of the rings or you know dnd's asmodeus yeah and then like how much leeway do devils have to carry out their own plans like and and does that vary based on their place in the hierarchy Right, like uh, Screw Tape, for example, specifically has to get his like mortals tempted, or he's going to be punished for failing. Right, but maybe your book imp is like, yeah, I'm on sabbatical. Like I've got a millennium to myself, and I'm just I'm spending my time with you. Right, is your devil clocking in and is like, oh man, I got to make like eighty more souls like this century, or like I, it's the pits for me. Yeah, like I love the <laughs> idea of like the book imp coming to you and being like, hey, look, um. So my boss is calling. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he says, I got to give him a soul by like the end of the year. We got to work on this. <laughs> uh-huh. And like yours is the most easily available, but you I mean, know, I'll take I'll, anything. Right. Right. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, I'm going to have to take yours if we don't work out an alternative. Right. It'd be a shame if something happened to your kid, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so when, when they are, um, trying to advance their own goals can they work at odds to other devils like what what if someone else's book imp is trying to steal your soul and now now you've gotten my book imp angry yeah (laughs) oh it's jerry i hate that guy what do you mean you couldn't tell us apart (laughs) that's that's racist okay okay i'm crimson and he's maroon (laughs) 
<laughs> What's wrong with it? Oh, oh, we're in the dark. Oh, you can't see. <laughs> it's actually, it's rare in something like Christian canon for devils to work at odds to each other. And that's because like there's one person in charge, right? But in fantasy, it is it is very common for devils to maybe even more than wanting to screw with mortals, they want to screw with other devils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of what keeps them from taking over all of existence, right? Yeah. All right, so when you're using a devil as an NPC, there are a lot of things to to keep in mind. And I think the first one is that most of this interaction is probably going to be in person. Like, you'll be speaking face-to-face with the devil because that's where a lot of the devil's power comes from right the the temptation is something that happens in person or the 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 intimidation like the the presence of a devil is an interesting thing and when you have these in-person interactions there will almost always be a massive power imbalance either you have a very weak devil who's bargaining for you know freedom or their life or something or you have a very powerful devil who's just toying with the party for now Mm mm-hmm um, typically, like devils are immortal, so they don't have a human time scale with which they need to accomplish their goals. So, as a as a GM, it can be helpful if you add like prophetic time constraints to devil activities, or you know, like like we joked about, right? Like I'm on sabbatical and I only have a few more years left, and then I have to go back to the nine hells, or you know, like for whatever reason they have escaped for now, but they're going to get pressed back into the like order and hierarchy of the devils if uh, if they don't succeed on something soon. Yeah, or like, I've been screwing around for 900 years, but harmonic convergence is next year. And like, we've been waiting for this and stuff needs to happen right now. Yeah, exactly. I've been putting this off. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I also like that they are immortal. And we sort of talked about this with like long live races like elves, but with um, with devils and actual immortals, you can have connections to a, a PC's family line, right? Like throughout history. Maybe um, we don't have a connection with your grandfather. I could have a connection with like the sire of your line 8,000 years ago that you've never even heard of. Yeah, like that family heirloom sword, that's actually what seals our pact. Yeah, like, I, I got stabbed with it. Yeah, <laughs> I got better. Thanks for asking. <laughs> So, like, that means that, like, immortal scheme with plans within plans within plans, right? Like, this is one small step on a human scale, or, or a human a human's lifetime is one small step in the devil scale. Yeah, which means they've had a lot of time to amass wealth and power. I mean, even compared to dragons, they've had so much more time. So, mm-hmm. let them use it. Um, And they're... Their ultimate goal might be enigmatic, right? Because it could be, you know, coming to fruition eight or whatever, 10,000 years from now, right? However, sometimes the plotting isn't necessarily in pursuit of a goal. It just is the goal. I'm I'm bored. I <laughs> I live forever. I've been yeah. doing this forever. <laughs> that's that's kind of Mephistopheles' whole thing, right? <laughs> like, it's just like, eh, I, I could do it, so I did. Right. What else am I going to do? <laughs> right. Also, I can do... 4,000 of these simultaneously. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So when does the party meet the devil? Do they know if they're meeting the devil? And then physically, how does it feel to the mortal uh, party to be in the devil's presence? Is it terrifying? Like, is is this uh, Tim Curry from Legend? And like those giant horns and like a bull ring in in their nose and 
they're like a the size of a garistro or is it like really nice or really alluring (laughs) so then also think about what is the devil trying to actually get here right like is it a contract signed in blood is it you know tricking the party into a betrayal is it you know demonic devilish possession yeah any any of those are are valid and and any of those are like an effective method for the devil to get whatever like its overarching end goal might actually be. So in terms of actually accomplishing these, though, there are a few different ways that a devil will probably go about it. The first one is temptation. Um, that's sort of the the classic uh, mythological version of the devil. I'm going to give you a thing so that you do a thing. Maybe that's gold, uh, sex. It could be power, I'll make sure you win the election, or, you know, skill, like devil went down to Georgia. Wait, no, he gives him a a golden fiddle. Johnny already has the skill. Yeah, but the golden fiddle makes him even better. Who's the other guy at the the crossroads who gets seven years? Uh, That's uh, Robert Johnson, right? I think you're right. Okay, so both of those. Agree to disagree. Uh, the, the devil <laughs> might also give you aid. Uh, this could be like the form of a magic item or artifact. Here, we'll, we'll put the golden fiddle in there. Okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might be help with revenge or some other goal of yours. Uh, it might be information that you're looking for. Yeah, like think about how you can tie the devil into the backstories or the desires of the party members. Like one thing I really like about devil stories is they can be some of the most intimate stories that you tell because it doesn't have to have anything to do with the wider world or, you know, some sort of like massive BBEG or multiversal threat. It can just be a devil screwing with the things that are the most important to the actual party members. Mm -hmm. You want to get revenge? Great. I can help you get revenge. You want information? Well, oh, I can tell you anything you want to know. I mean, I, on the on the same level, you have threats, right? right. Like, <laughs> like blackmail the party. That's an intensely personal thing. It's only something that person cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, domination or threatening loved ones is another way that devils kind of uh, exert their will. Yeah, and I think when you do something like threatening a loved one, it's probably not I will cut the throat of someone you care about, right? It's I'll do this to them. I will lead them into temptation. And do you think that like your 14-year-old kid is going to be able to resist me? Yeah. Or like, do you want your son to have a happy marriage? <laughs> like, do you want your family line to continue? Because I could just curse them and they'll never have kids. Your line ends with you. Congratulations. That'd be a shame, huh? And guess what? It's your fault. Mm-hmm. You chose this. I didn't choose this. <laughs> And then, of course, there's trickery, right? It might be that nothing is as it seems with the devil. Maybe they are just lying and probably lying extremely convincingly. Yeah, so this is like that thing where they uh, they offer something to the PCs, and even in rejecting it, the PC is taking some step that advances the devil's agenda. Right, you're basically tricking the paladin into saying, nay, get thee away, and then running in the direction the devil wants them to go in the first place. Right, yeah, like, you know, purifying the village. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say, though, probably watch out uh, for getting too Sinchian with your devils, like the, ha-ha, everything is always going according to plan, because that just prevents your uh, party members from actually being able to succeed in the end. Yeah, they they feel like they don't have agency. So, like, what that will do is it will prompt them to just try to kill the devil. Right. I mean, you know, if you 
that's what you want them to do, like a physical conversation with the devil, then okay, cool. Now you know how to do it. Right. Uh, so in a lot of games, you will have an actual contract with the devil. Uh, you might argue about it. Uh, you might actually write it down. It might be like a physical contract in the game, like a, a piece of paper on parchment that is signed with some sort of quill that the devil conjures from thin air and tricks you into using your own blood to sign it. And that's why it actually works. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, it could be just a verbal contract, mm-hmm. right? Like when spoken with your true name, uh, it becomes binding. It could even be signed or agreed to inadvertently, right? People misspeak while talking to a devil or like use a particular aphorism or whatever. And the devil's like, well, I will just choose to take that literally. Yeah. Um, So you can get as specific with the wording as you want or not, depending on what your group thinks is fun. So I think there's a, there is a certain group that will really appreciate wordsmithing every bit of the contract language. And then there's another group that just wants to agree on the principles and maybe even agree on the loopholes um, and like not have to worry about what the details actually say. Right. Uh, when you, uh, when brand in morning glory made a pact with behemoth, the devil, we like actually printed out an actual physical contract and we agreed on the wording ahead of time. And then I pricked my finger and I signed it in blood. Mm-hmm, right. And we were like, dude, uh, this is too much. It's a game, please. It's gross. <laughs> you did actually have Angelo, an actual real life lawyer, read it first, though. Yeah, he gave bad advice. <laughs> Don't use a defense attorney as your contract attorney. <laughs> Different skill sets. And then we talked a bit about this already, but in terms of the consequences for making a pact with the devil or for you know bargaining with one or, or using the resources offered they, these gifts will always come with costs and they will probably be unforeseen costs or ones that um, are worse than what you gained out of it. Or, or they might be like a gift of the Magi type costs where you lose the thing that you were trying to help in the first place. What's the, what's the traditional monkey paw, monkey's paw one? Um, we need money so our kid can go to college. So we wish for a bunch of money and then our kid dies and we get an insurance windfall. But now we have no kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. And keep in mind that deals are binding. Uh, in however you determine that these deals will be binding, they they should be. And, you know, again, maybe there's a loophole. Maybe there's some sort of like magic MacGuffin that can get you out of one, but you can't dispel magic a devil's contract. Right. There's no anti-magic field that's going to free you from that contract. Right. Okay, so let's say you do have to attack your devils, um, either because that's the only way out or because it just would feel better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so first off, for many devils, this will never come up. Like, Faust could not attack Mephistopheles. It just, it just wouldn't make any sense in the story, right? But also Mephistopheles couldn't attack Faust. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, Faust was never under any physical threat, right? <laughs> So in general, like in a in like a D and D game or an RPG game, the PCs will will lose in a direct confrontation with a very powerful devil, unless they have some sort of MacGuffin that they've managed to conceal somehow, right? And you know maybe that's the quest is we have to work for this devil because there's no way for us to actually like deal with them because they could snuff us with a snap of their finger literally mm-hmm. until we go get this MacGuffin. So in D and D low-level devils are dispatched relatively easily, right? So if you fight them, like, they might be a little harder than, like, comparable enemies, but they 
they are still like relatively small stakes, right? So in D&D, they're immune to fire and poison. They're resistant to damage from non-magical and non-silvered weapons. So like they're hardy, um, but like they're not, they're not going to like be that sort of like big bad threat that you would look for, like maybe from like a pit fiend or something like that. Right, like these are the like um, the line troops of the Blood War, where right. the the Arch Devil who's actually in charge, who you probably will be making an actual deal with, is the one just sending wave after wave of them specifically to get trounced. Right, uh, they're often resistant to cold and magic, and they can see in magical darkness. This is probably important in uh, combat scenarios. Which and- I, it's important because they're only going to fight when they have an advantage, right? Like they're going to try to wait and come back with a with a trick up their sleeve if they can. Mm-hmm. Now they do have weaknesses. Um, unlike dragons, they don't really have like physical weaknesses. It, it's more mental. It'll be hubris. They overextend themselves. They don't believe that you actually pose any kind of threat. They're immortal, and so they say, "All right, if this particular physical form is destroyed, whatever, I'll be back in a year and a day. Who cares?" Uh, and then I think their biggest weakness is actually that they're always pursuing their own goals, right? Which means they're always open to bargaining. Um, whether you have them like dead to rights or they have you dead to rights, it might just be that they would prefer you alive. They've shown their physical dominance, and now it is time to like twist the knife. Right. This was fun, but let's get down to business. Right. <laughs> so in terms of tactics, if you are uh, playing a devil... Get someone else to do your dirty work. Why are you sullying your hands with combat? Oh, uh, it's such a such a dominate person type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you have to fight, fight in numbers, or you know, get a bunch of people to do your dirty work. Uh, and then, of course, have a bargaining chip, right? Like, make sure you also have that offer they can't refuse in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, push the wedge into the party. Split them. Offer something to one person. Make them do your dirty work. Mm-hmm. Tactically, though, you can, you know, strafe and kite. Most devils can fly. Uh, you know, you've got those wings for a reason, right? You're not beholden by earthly gravity. Uh, a lot of them can become invisible or teleport or go ethereal. You know, you have a lot of ways to sort of get out of tough spots. So just show up, attack, and then disappear. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, magical dark vision. So uh, kill the lights. Fight mm-hmm. in the dark. Yeah. Uh, also, you're immune to fire, so fireball everyone. Burn the whole place down. Who cares? You're also immune well, like, to poison, so like cloud, cloud kill. kill. Yeah. <laughs> cloud kill, or as I say, hello. <laughs> also, goodbye. It's like aloha. Right. <laughs> uh, geek the mage, obviously, because people who can wield magic are probably the biggest threat to you. Uh, make sure that you are not getting banished, because while that doesn't kill you, it's a, it's a detour. Yeah, so retreat when necessary, right? Like, devils are usually recurring villains, so you don't want your plan to end here. Um, maybe just losing this fight, giving the PC some confidence is part of your plan, or maybe even dying is part of your plan because you could be reborn in your next form or whatever it is. Yeah, I think in the last uh, installment in this series, we said that dragons think of themselves as PCs, right? right. Like, this is my story. I think devils have um, knowledge of the fourth wall, maybe more than most other monsters. And they know, wait, I'm supposed to show up later. All right. Like, I'm not the protagonist. I am your antagonist. 
uh, I will be back. Right. <laughs> and of course, remember that the best tactics for a memorable fight might be different from the best tactics for the devil itself. So consider what is the ultimate purpose of this battle. It may not, like you said, Shane, it may not be to win this particular battle. Right. What action is the devil driving the party toward? And that might be, you know, an external, like an actual direction. Go to this location or, or kill this person or kill me or whatever. Uh, it might also be internal, like feel the anger at me. Um, like uh, feel these emotions or like re- renounce your God because they certainly haven't protected you or your family. Right. So for PCs, um, of course, the warlock is classically uh with the infernal warlock has the faustian bargain sort of built in um but it doesn't have to be that way right so think about what devil you're connected to and what the like relationship that you have is and how you got that connection right it might be friendly possibly you know or or you certainly don't have to be antagonistic with your patron um how much control do you have? How involved is your patron in your day-to-day life? Like, do they care? Do they know that you are bound to them? Right. And what is it that they want from you? And has that even been revealed? I I like it as like the uh, the archfiend who just has like the index fund of adventurers. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, I just I bet on every horse in the race. <laughs> right. We'll just see who makes it through the grinder. I don't care. Okay, yeah, sure. Of course, that's the power. <laughs> oh, you died. Great. I'll just reallocate that. Exactly. Just rebalance my portfolio of adventures. <laughs> uh, and then warlocks aside, you can have any PC who has a contract with a devil or has made a bargain for power, or you can have someone who has a relative or friend who has done that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, of course, you can have the empty vessel PC, right? Who has a soul missing and needs to go track it down. Always fun, so, especially if they don't know their soul's missing. Right. So for magic and magic items, often it's this, this is the only way to actually combat a devil. A regular person with mundane equipment might not even be able to like physically touch a devil, right? You might just pass right through them. Of course, that's not the only way that they can ruin people. Um they can also, as keepers of secrets, or and and maybe have privy to knowledge that is like either like omniscient or like feels omniscient. Like they can just reveal truths that can severely damage people, like yeah. kind of in like a fae sort of way. Right. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna tell you some stuff. Wait, why are you screaming? You didn't want to know that. I don't understand. I'm helping you. Vlad the Impaler is your father. You should be proud. Right. Come on. (laughs) Knowledge is power. You're royalty. (laughs) (laughs) Should I have not said that in front of your family? (laughs) Oh, ooh, ooh. It's awkward. I I just don't understand all these, like, rules of etiquette here. They change so often. Congratulations. You're a father. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that barmaid six towns ago? (laughs) Congratulations, you're not a father anymore. <laughs> uh, so, like, with, with things like this, right, there aren't usually rules in any sort of game to say, like, oh, the like a devil that you're meeting knows everything in the entire world. Like, the devil is um, privy to all of the knowledge in the GM's head, right? Right. But they right. certainly can be. Right. Um, so it means that just in general, their abilities don't really need to adhere to the normal rules of magic. Like, I would never worry about, you know, magic schools and necessarily number of 
spells per day or whatever for a devil, especially one that you're not like, you know, fighting directly in combat. They just sort of like wave their hand and a thing happens. Right. That said, if you do need to go up against them, uh, get your hands on fiend slaying gear, you know, uh, those weapons that are specifically made to like kill uh, devils or fiends or do extra damage to them. Uh, in D&D, radiant damage tends to be uh, pretty good, but almost nothing is resistant to like force or psychic. Yeah, and at lower levels, at least silvered weapons will help you. Yeah, and those are pretty cheap to get. Um, and then fire resistance is, of course, important. Um, poison resistance, if you can get it. Like, basically, the things that devils are most likely to use are the things that can't hurt them. So you want to be strong against those abilities. Right. Uh, find a way to see in the dark. And if you can see in magical darkness, hey, bonus. Uh, and then there are items that emulate fiends. They give you, like, fiendish resilience. Um, sometimes those are, you know, like, extra hit points or, you know, fire resistance and and things like that. So anything that gives you the protections of uh, a devil is going to make it so that they can't then capitalize on their own defenses. And then if you're looking to control devils, um, there are holy items, right? Things that like have a, a mythical connection to devils. So they might be able to banish them or be able to like control them for a period of time, things like that. Right. Or, you know, the power of Christ compels you, right? Like in the exorcist, I don't think the cross was necessary, but it certainly seems to help the priest, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's necessary for him, not for the devil. <laughs> right. So I think if you aren't using devils in your game, consider it as a really great way to maybe exercise your acting chops or like uh, to sort of scratch that scheming itch in, in a game. Uh, and players... If you're not currently fighting or going up against a devil, keep in mind that literally anybody could be one. Yeah, I really like devils as a, like, the the found BBEG, right? Like, maybe you've gotten to sort of, like, mid-levels in your campaign and you've, you've kind of strung some adventures along, but you don't have that, like, BBEG for the overall arc yet. Like, a devil is a great, like, plug-and-play big bad, you know? Like, because they're, whatever you've done could fit or contradict their scheme in whatever way you want to build it right like there's millions of devils and millions of schemes so like any phase of it you could have interacted with it gotten their attention and now you have to deal with them yeah i think we keep hearing you know oh campaigns don't last that long they go a couple years and then stop or nobody ever gets to high levels or high xp totals or whatever if you've gotten near the end of a campaign you want to put on a third act devils are great bad guys yeah yeah <laughs> They show up late and make their presence known. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's uh, the scritchy scratch of a quill on parchment for no reason whatsoever. Well, if you build it, they will come. So it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There is a link in the show notes. This week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by D&D Beyond. It is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. 
You can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. Like, for example, in your Dark Sun game, you can add an item, and then you can name that item to something awesome and cool. Like, Bone Knife, or Widow's Knife, or Iron Shield, or Iron Spear. And then you can also like go in and like add the customized plus one to attack, but not the plus one to damage because it's masterwork. Uh-huh. And people are like, what the hell is masterwork? And you're like, noob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> D&D Beyond also has lots of awesome content for free, like the D&D basic rules, articles from writers like James J. Heck, and videos from Todd Kenrick. And the team is always updating the site with new features, so improvements are always coming. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Fiend Slayer. Ishan, what is a Fiend Slayer? Kills fiends. Uh, Sounds kills, good. Kills devils. This this Fiend Slayer is specifically specced to take on devils. Um, fifth edition doesn't really differentiate in a lot of um, between devils and demons in a lot of class features, which I think is a good thing. But this one specifically is going after fiend, um, going after devils. Okay, so what's the build? Devotion Paladin 15, Inquisitive Rogue 3, Hexblade 2. All right, so from Paladin, we will get Divine Sense up to Charisma Mod plus one times per day. That's, uh, hey, are there any fiends around within 60 feet? Oh, there they are, cool. You get a fighting style, you're immune to disease, you get extra attack, and then eventually you get improved Divine Smite, which does an extra D8 radiant damage on every attack. And then, of course, you've got Smites, which deal a ton of radiant damage by expending spell slots. Uh, and they do additional damage to fiends. Also undead, but who cares about them? You have a Killer Aura, plus Charisma Modifier 2 saving throws for yourself and everyone within 10 feet of you. Um, devils, if they're going to fight you, are probably using mind-controlling magic. They're charming or something like that. Fortunately, you and your friends are immune to charm and fear. So whether they're going the terrifying or alluring route, it doesn't matter. You have Cleansing Touch, uh, which is like spend some pool from your lay on hands and heal disease or end effects. And then you'll also be able to end a spell effect on you or somebody else a few times a day. You get great oath spells for going up against uh, devils. Protection from evil and good makes it so that you cannot be possessed. Zone of Truth makes it so the creatures can't lie, and Dispel Magic, of course, just ends all the crazy shenanigans that devils usually get up to. Sacred Weapon turns your weapon into a magic one so that you'll be able to actually harm them, and it does uh, a bunch more damage, and Turn the Unholy lets you use your channel divinity to rebuke fiends and undead, which is really great against hordes, and also particularly really great against just one single individual devil. Uh, and then your capstone will be a uh, always-on protection from evil and good. From Rogue, we get two expertises. Uh, one will definitely be insight so that you can tell if those devils are lying to you. And the other, I think, ask your GM whether arcana or religion is most appropriate for dealing with devils in the particular setting that you're playing in. You'll also get sneak attack and cutting action, as well as the ability to use perception and investigate as a bonus action. And then at level three, Ear for Deceit means that all rolls you make on Insight have a minimum roll on the die of eight. Now, Warlock from Hexblade, immediately you get Charisma. You can use Charisma as your attack and damage stat. So you're basically just piling everything onto Charisma here for mm -hmm. this entire build. Hexblade's Curse gives you uh, extra damage 
and critting on a 90 to 20 versus one creature per short rest. And then you'll get access to spells like Shield and Eldritch Blast. And then we're also here for two invocations, one of which is definitely going to be Devil's Sight so that they can't turn the lights off on you. Mm -hmm. And then the other, you have some options, but I like Beguiling Influence here to pick up two more skills just so you can have a bunch of skills. And, you know, sometimes sometimes devils are great at lying, but they don't usually have insight. Mm-hmm. So they can't tell when you're lying. Right. In terms of leveling order, we'll take uh, Rogue One, of course, then two levels of Hexblade, uh, finish out our Rogue levels, and then it's Paladin all the way home. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And you can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the show and help other people find us. If you do, we will read it on the air. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about Mega Dungeons. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Dungeoneer. Well, that's it for episode 234 of Total Party Thrill. I hope you lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All the products are crafted to look like spell books, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. So I personally am loving the uh, the dice boxes right now. Uh, I've started collecting dice. Uh, my dice collection has like, I don't know, quintupled in size over the past two months. And I am always looking for places and ways to like store and display my like cool new shiny math rocks so i'm i'm loving their dice boxes have you gotten to the point now where you are displaying them uh because you also have a cat (laughs) oh i yes so i have to keep them in a jewelry box uh that has like a a glass cover in order to display them but uh i do transport them (laughs) Uh, and i actually like the way that um the elderwood academy boxes look like if you just take the top off a a lot of people have them at our gaming group and you know you, you take the top off so you can see the dice and, and then roll them but they they also look nice just sitting there in the tray yeah yeah they're simple uh i like i like the hex design too like because it's a little like flat um it's a it's a good like space saver because that's always something portability is important because we have to ride the subway <laughs> yeah all the time all right so if that sounds great check it out at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split <laughs>